right, all right. I hope you guys met somebody new. I hope you guys met somebody new that you can kind of take to lunch. Or if you don't have anybody to take to lunch, you can take your pastor to lunch, whatever you want to do. And just, there's no, you know, there's no uh, requirements of that, you know, but... Um, I just, want to, I just want to say a special welcome to our uh, first-time guests, our visitors this morning. Uh, we're so glad you're here. If, if it's your first time here, uh, I just want to invite you to our first-time um, first guest table. We actually have something we want to give you, and who does not like a free gift? And I promise you it won't be something cheesy. I promise. Um, and so we just want to get to know you a little bit. If you, if you are interested in getting involved in our church, man, like um, we are a church that is invested in, 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 their, in their members and, and people that we call, we like to call heart and soul. We like to see people taking their next steps in their faith. Kind of like Lauren said, because we believe if you're a Christian or if you're searching for something that Jesus wants to connect you to himself, then he don't want to just connect you to himself. He wants to put you on mission with him and for him. And so we're all about empowering um, you and um, our, our, the rest of the people you see around you in doing that. And so I, one thing I know is I really believe God is blessing our church in so many ways. And week after week, I'm hearing testimony after testimony of what God's doing in people's hearts and in connect groups, whether it be a service project. We got to, we, I, can't, I think it's 108 firefighters we got to serve um, last week at our service project uh, over, over all of Savannah, which was pretty cool. Um, and there's different things that are, that are happening. I'm seeing life change happen. Like we're seeing marriages being restored in some of our connect groups. We, we had a guy a couple weeks ago get saved in a connect group. It's so cool to watch what God's doing. And so what I, what I know is that um, in seeing that is he's so faithful. So many times it's easy for us to kind of go through life with our head at the ground, just kind of going. We forget to look up and just see how, God, how good he is, how faithful he is how much he's blessed us, how much we've seen him do. And, and one thing I know, because of that, anytime we're together, um, you can look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you see, the, you see the disciples coming together, and you see them breaking bread together. You see, you see the new believers coming in after Peter preached. 3,000 came to Christ. They were baptized. They became part of the church. It said they devoted themselves to Scripture. It says they met together in one another's homes. It says they ate together. Hallelujah. It says that they, that they were generous with one another. They sold each other. They sold material things to, to give to other people that had need. Um, they just, they were just a, there was a celebration, a buzz that was happening because they were living for something greater than themselves. And if you get serious with yourself this morning, we're all searching for that, right? We're searching for something outside of ourselves that's greater than us. And so this morning, I just want to celebrate that because anytime we come here, you know, I, I've been to church my entire life. I've been to numerous churches my entire life. And there's that, there's that overarching feel of church that you go to sometimes. It's like, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, read, watch, sit down, listen to the sermon, go home, Right? But that's not what it's about. We're supposed to come here and we're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who gave his life for us so that we can live, the one who gave his life for us so that we can get up out of the pit that we've dug for ourselves and walk with him. God's a God of reconciliation and restoration. Well, it's okay to be messed up. One thing I love about our church is it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. We want to see, we want to help, we want to walk, and we want to do things with you guys to, to, to build you up in your faith, to see you carry out the things that God's created you for. And so why do we have a reason to celebrate? Because Jesus has come in the form of a man to take our place on the cross so that we can live. And so let's remember that, okay? And so today I just want to ask you, like, what is God, what is God trying to do in your life? What's he trying to do? What's, what, what door is he knocking on in your heart and saying, hey, I want, I want access to this. I want access to this. I, I, if you would just give me this, you would have freedom. 
You can walk in freedom. If you would just give me this, or if you would just do this, he has so much greater things for us. What, is, what steps of faith do we need to take today? What things are we holding on to? Because as people, we like to hold on to the things that make us comfortable, the things that keep us in our comfort areas, the things that we know we're safe and secure. But Jesus has come so we can have eternal security this morning. And so this morning, as we're going into this, you know, multiple times in Scripture, you can see where Jesus, he heals people. That's a great thing, right? If somebody was walking around healing people, that's, oh, wow, it's awesome. The, thing, the same thing, guys, happens today. He's still doing those types of miracles. The reason we don't see it a lot of times is based on our faith. Multiple times in Scripture, we see Jesus killing people, and he says, because of your faith, you've been healed. Your faith has healed you. Go, your faith has healed you. Let it be done to the measure of your faith. That was, that's whenever he was, he was quoted to the, the, the woman that had the blessing. According to the measure of your faith, you've been healed. And so this morning, ask, let's ask ourselves, how, what, what measure of faith do we have this morning that God is going to do what he said he's going to do in our life? At what point does that stop? At what point do we try to, to strive to do it our own way? And so this morning, let's think about it because if we have breath in our lungs, we have purpose. Purpose, like a good, strong, deep, um, meaningful purpose in our life. God's not done and he can do far greater things than my mind can imagine. And I'm not sure if you're like me, I have a huge imagination, a huge imagination. I can imagine some pretty awesome things that God wants to do in my life. And like, he says it's greater than that. So I'm like, okay, you have the keys. Father, you do it because I want to see what you can do in my life. I surrender all. And in doing that, he's going to take over and he's going to walk that out with you because he's not done, okay? And don't feel like you're, the struggle, you're, you're alone in your struggle this morning. Don't feel that way. Don't feel that way. We all have stuff. You can look to the person to your left and the right behind you in front of you, and they told you they didn't have junk in their life, they'd be lying to you. Because we're humans, we're broken individuals who have sinned and gone our own way. And that's the thing, man, is we get to do this together and build each other up. And that's why we need each other, and that's why we need Jesus to come save us, because we can't do it on our own. And that's what this series we're in this week is about. It's called, it's called Broken. We've already, we've already done three weeks of this. And, I think it's three weeks, maybe. I, don't quote me on that. Um, but we've dealt with this. It's, it's a series called How God um, Used Broken People to Carry Out His Purposes. And guess what? If he didn't use broken people to carry out his purposes, he couldn't use anybody, right? Because everybody's broken. If anybody's bro not broken this morning, then listen closely. So this morning, we're going to talk about a little bit about David. And, you know, David was on the outside looking in, an incredible man. He did so much for the kingdom of Israel. He did so much for God. He did so much because he had a surrendered heart that God, God called him. He was a man after my own heart is what God said. So we're gonna be looking at David and he's described as a man after God's own heart. He was labeled a man after God's own heart because he did what God wanted him to. God spoke, David said yes and walked. He had complete faith in God. Remember David and Goliath? Like what kind of 13, 14, 15 year olds will stand before a nine foot nine man with a 20 foot, with a 20 pound spear in his hand and say, I got you. That's faith. That's faith because he believed in his God. He believed in his God was gonna take care of him like he said he would. He loved God's word. Look in Psalms, man. Psalms will tell you over and over again where David says, like I meditate on your word day and night. I do not depart from it because it brings life. 
That's where it's at. Over and over again. So what's so amazing, guys, is in this story, we're about to read in a second, is even though that David was a man after God's own heart, even though he was a, let's call, a Christian, even though he was a follower of Jesus, he still had some pretty dark places in his life, didn't he? He still had some pretty dark corners of his, of his heart. And that brings me a lot of joy because if David can kill a giant, if David can follow God perfectly most of his life, but then I see just a little bit of glimpse of darkness in his life, that brings me hope because I have darkness in my life. And so do you, just like us. So two names, two names come to mind when we look at David's life. Two names are associated with David. The first one is always Goliath. The second one's always Bathsheba. The first was a story of great courage. The second one's a story of great cowardice, great failure, great falling. And so we're gonna to see today that, that, even though, that even though there's a man of God's own heart, David, he was broken in his sin. Which I hope, guys, that we can take encouragement from, but can allow David to show us the way out of that today. That we don't have to sit in that brokenness. We can walk out of it and see freedom in Christ in the name of Jesus. We can see freedom. But what we need to understand today is, guys, in this story, it's easy for us to put ourselves in the, into the lives of the characters of the Bible. But that's not accurate. We can't do that. In this story, we're going to be able to relate to the inadequacies of, of David. But David is a foreshadowing of the coming King Jesus. If you want to put, if you want to put yourself onto somebody else, we're the Israelites behind David. That's who, that's who we would be in Scripture if you wanted to do that. Um, but look at it Scripture accurately. We're going to look at David, and we're going to see some relationships that we have in our humanity with David. So let's look at that today in just a second. We're going to turn in a second. You can, if you want to go ahead and turn there, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Father God, we love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you haven't left us alone. God, I thank you that you haven't given us what we deserve. God, I thank you for every heart in this room, every soul in this room. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you would just soften our hearts to hear the word. God, that we wouldn't turn a blind ear to the word. God, that we would let it examine our hearts, that we would let it examine our lives, Father, in a way that we would be bold enough and brave enough to, to make adjustments to the way that we live, to the way that we treat people, to the way that we honor you. God, that we would break down the walls of our hearts, Father, so that we can see you more clearly. God, I pray that you would remove the blinders, Father, that you would just um, do what your word says, that, that, that you would just um, you would, you would grow something in our heart through this scripture, Father, as we read. Father, we love you, and I just want to honor you in everything we say and do this morning, Father, in your name I pray. Amen. And so as usual, I want to give you a background of David. Um, I, I'm not sure if you're like me, but I really love history, and I like to know details of stuff. I like to know um, just the background of people's story. And so David, um, just to kind of give you a little bit of quick facts, I'm not, if you, I'm not sure if you like facts, but I, like, I love those little fun fact books, but David's the most quoted Old Testament character in the New Testament. There's 59 times in the New Testament where he's quoted. It's pretty cool, right? He's the most quoted New Testament character. David's biography in the Old Testament is the longest in Bible, in the Bible. It covers 62 chapters. Blows my mind when I, when I, it blew my mind when I saw that. He was also um, the youngest son of, of Jesse. He had a lot of sons. He was the youngest. Um, he was anointed king as a young boy. He was a little guy. And, when, and then returned after he was anointed king. If, if I was a little guy and I was anointed king, I would not turn, return to shepherding. I'd be like, I'm the king. You can uh, all just hang out somewhere else. I mean, I, I would be the man. I, that's why God did not anoint me king, obviously. So David had character, great heart. He was, he was a great man of God. He, he delivered the, uh, the, the Israelites from the Philistines his whole entire life. He was always fighting the Philistines, and he was always beating them down, always. Um, 
I think the most notable time that we talked about earlier, he killed Goliath. Goliath was like nine foot nine. He was a huge guy, and he killed him with one rock to the middle of the head, died. He was only 15 when that happened. It's the Bible, um, I, uh, kind of the history tells us. Um, he served Saul. We talked about Saul last week. Saul was psycho. Crazy, crazy man. Go, go read Saul. He's nuts. But he, got, he served him faithfully because David respected God, and God had anointed Saul, so he, was, he, was, he, was, he respected the office that God had set up. And so he, he served him faithfully, even though that Saul tried to kill him countless times. David was trying to play the harp for him because, because um, Saul was um, tormented by a demon. And so Saul would get up and throw spears at David because he was jealous because he knew that David had been anointed king when he got older. And so it's, 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 it's a crazy situation, but David was faithful to what God wanted him to do. And so whenever David became king, um, he, uh, he, was, he, he had 17 straight years of success and riches and victory and like he didn't lose a battle for 17 years as king he got he gained all kind of foreign lands and kingdoms and 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 wives and and friends and and armies and he was just the epitome of success because he followed God in everything he said and God was faithful in blessing him and so for being a man after God's own heart David still managed to follow his own heart quite a bit if you've read scripture which led to his brokenness. And we're going to look at that this morning. So we're going to read this this morning. We're going to start in chapter six, or 2 Samuel 11. Um, we're going to go verses 1 through 17, and we're going to skip up to 25 to 27. Okay, so, so buckle up here. It's, it's a 17 verses, but it's a great story. And pay attention because the, some of the words and the details in the story, we, we, like to, we, we kind of read over them sometimes. But pay attention to the detail, okay? It says this, In the spring... That's a great thing to look at. We'll talk about that in a second. At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a beautiful woman, saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out, with some, found out about her. Can't read this morning, sorry. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay, there's a lot of detail you need to hear about this, okay? Why would the man come back and say, she's the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Why would he do that? You think, think through it. Listen, the, he's saying, the, the servant comes back and without trying to rebuke his master, saying, David, this is... You know these people. You, this is, this is uh, Eliam's daughter and Uriah's wife. If you look over, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 23 of the same, of the same book, it goes over and names um, David's best friends. It names the fighting men of David. And these fighting men, if you read first, uh, 2 Samuel 23, there's some stories in there you think would come out of a movie. It's, it's crazy. Like some of the battle scenes you read about, it's nuts. And, um, and you read all these, all these stories in here, and you look at, he lists the name of these men, and you read all on down. In verse 34, it says, um, Eliam, son of Ahithophet, or whatever the name is, the, the Gileonite, it goes on down, it says, and Uriah the Hittite. So Eliam was in David's, he's one of his best friends. He fought side by side. They were like, they were like brothers, and, and Uriah was the same way. And so this servant's like, don't do this. You, you know the, the fallout's going to be crazy. Don't do this. You know these people. These people are really close to you. Um, there's, there's a lot of influence in here. Don't do this. But David says he sent his messages, messages to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. 
Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was gone. Uriah did not go home. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to, to sleep on his mat among the, his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out on the front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite. So you need to hear this, guys. This is huge. Uriah is such a man of character, such a man of high character and integrity. He wouldn't go home and, and spend time with his wife after he had been at war for weeks and months and it could have been years. He stayed and was faithful to his, to his, to his oath to his king. And look over at verses 25 to 27. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Guys, this story is full of drama, drama. This is a great movie, right? This is awesome. I mean, you can read this, and you can take so much from this. But I'm sure you've always heard this, right? You've always heard the, the passage in Galatians where it says, um, God cannot be mocked. A man will always reap what he sows. It goes on to say, whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And then it says, Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So who's ever seen this play out firsthand in your life? I have. I've seen what I've reaped come to pass, and it's been bad or it's been good. You could have been on one spectrum where you've been like, you thought you were bulletproof. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. And that everything was under control, then boom. Everything, everything goes crazy. Everything is lost. You're done. Or you could be on the other side of the spectrum where you sowed to the Spirit. You were following Jesus, and God was blessing you and showing you all these different things. But this is where David was. David, had, he had lived his life almost to perfection when it came to following Jesus, when it came to following God. And then he, he goes and, and does this thing that was just to, to sow to his flesh, and then all hell's about to break loose in David's life. He was so close to God in this moment, um, before this moment, that people had a hard time telling where David ended and where God began because God was so in tune, or David was so in tune with God. 
And so this was so out of character with, with David. And so two very important things I want to bring out in this story is that sin always bears consequences. That's number one. Sin always bears consequences. Always. And the second one is no one is exempt from sin. No one. No one is exempt from sin. So listen, you, you can be forgiven, but you can't unsin, right? You can be forgiven, but you can't unsin. And a lot of people confuse forgiveness with consequences. Like the forgiveness we find in Christ, the forgiveness we find in Christ is, is, is complete. When we surrender our lives to him, it's complete. It's eternal. Nothing can take it away, but the consequences will still probably be there. You know, and that's sad. Well, think about Peter. Peter's my favorite, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Peter, he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, just like Jesus had told him he would do. Peter was like, never, Lord, never, never. He walked away devastated by his failure because, because he loved Jesus with all his heart. He really did. And he repented and he was restored. He was forgiven, but the consequences were still there, right? He, he went on to start the church. Think about Peter's culture. What do you hear every morning in Peter's culture? A rooster. Every morning, Peter wakes up, there's a rooster. Think about that for a second. Every morning you wake up, what you've done in your past is in your face. Think about that. Think about what went through his mind. Think about what, li what lies Satan tried to use to drag Peter down every morning when he was trying to plant churches, when he was trying to, 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 to preach the gospel to people. Think about the rooster that was crowing the morning before he preached. Think about the rooster that was crowing the morning when he was baptizing those 3,000 people. He was awakened every morning by that stupid rooster. You know what I mean? Think about, think about if your sins were that, were that close to you every morning. And I bet you one thing is in Lamentations 3, Peter had the verse in Lamentations 3 memorized. It says, your mercies are new, God, every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Why is God's mercies new every morning? Because our sin is new every morning. Because he is faithful every morning to forgive our sins. And I bet Peter clung to that pretty tightly. And you can be fully and completely forgiven. David was. And in just a minute, we're going to look at how David was restored. And Nathan told him that he, you're, you're, you have been for God's for taking your sins away. You're not going to die is what Nathan said. We'll read that in a second. He was made completely right with God. He, had, he didn't have to carry the guilt and condemnation anymore, but the effects of what he had done was still there. The, there was still a baby that was coming. There was still a family that was going to be torn apart. There was still things, his kingdom that was going to be in disorder because of his actions, because of his selfishness, because of the things that he would done. And really think about David's consequences, guys. You think his first son dies because of his sin. You think about all these consequences. But I think the worst one that I could think of whenever I was reading this is that it was recorded in Scripture for every person throughout history to read. Think about that. Think about if your sins was written in a book for the world to read for the rest of eternity. That's some pretty crazy consequences. And so... Thinking through these scriptures, thinking through this passage and story, there's, there's three or four questions that I want to answer for you this morning, and I want to, we need to talk about. Um, and so I think the first one is, why did God use David so powerfully? Why did God use David so powerfully? You know, you read scripture, you hear, you hear God calling David, he's a man after my own heart. I have found a man after my own heart that I'm going to anoint. There's three reasons I'm going to give you of why God used David so powerfully. But before we do that, I want to ask you what it means, what it means to be a man after God's own heart. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? It means he cared a great deal more about what God wanted than what he wanted. Because he knew God's way was greater than his way. He knew that God's way was, was, was far 
surpassed his, his, his mind and his will and his intellect was far surpassing David's because God had seen David come through, or I mean, David had seen God come through over and over again. He loved God. Like, I was, I was talking to our, our worship team and our, our prayer team this morning. It's like, how many of us this morning love God? Just lo- I love Jesus. I love him. Or how many of us love the idea of God and love the idea of Jesus? Because there's a difference in that. When I really love Jesus, my life changes. When I just love the idea of Jesus, it's just, it's just a religious act. You know what I mean? And so do we really love God this morning? David loved God. He spent time in his presence. He longed. You can read in Psalms. He just longed for his presence. God, I just want to spend time in your presence. Speak to me. God, move in my life. I just want to, I just want to sit in your presence, God, and, and be still. Be still and wait for you, God, to speak. Because you're good. Father, your word is good. He didn't just give God lip service. He gave God wholehearted obedience and worship every time. He was worshiping God wholeheartedly. He didn't just give him lip service to God or, or a half-hearted worshiper or, or 98% obedience like we talked about last week with Saul. He was all out going for God. And we saw God bless him because of that. When David worshiped, you can look in um, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and also in 7, when David worshiped, the Bible says he worshiped and danced before the Lord with all his might. Think about if everybody in here were worshiping the Lord with all their might. What would that look like? That'd be a party, wouldn't it? That'd be incredible. It'd be awesome if we worship the Lord with all our might. And the reason that he did that is because he saw God, he knew who he was in God's presence, and he knew how beautiful God was and how God wanted to affect his life and how God wanted to use him. In 2 Samuel 6, like I just said ago, a minute ago, uh, his wife was looking out the window as David was coming in the city with the Ark of the Covenant, who had been at, which had been out of the, outside of the city walls in another country for a while, and they had conquered that place and brought it back, and David was dancing before the Ark. And the Ark of the Covenant was, was a representation of the presence of God. And so David was literally in front of the presence of God, dancing, worshiping. I'm on, I mean, I'm pumped up for God. And, and when he gets back home, his wife's like, well, bro, what are you doing? You look stupid. Like he was making fun of him. He was, she was making fun of him. And he, and he said, this is what he said, like verbatim in scripture. He says, I will even become even more undignified than this. That's awesome. I, you ain't seen nothing yet, woman, is what he said, because I'm going to worship my Lord. I'm going to worship him because he's good. I've seen what he's done. How can I not worship him? And guys, why do we let pride get in the way of our worship of God? Why do we let pride get in the way of us raising our hands and worship to God because he's good, because we've seen what he's done in our life, because everything we have is his. We're just stewards of it, and he's blessed us with so much. Why, are we, why do we have a hard time worshiping him sometimes? It's pride is what it is, and it's, it's what it is in my life. And God's, God wants obedience from us, and that's what gets in the way a lot of times. And David was saying to his wife, don't you know? Haven't you seen God move in our lives? Don't you know how, how awesome, how he saved us from our enemies over and over and over again? He's faithful. He's good. What else? Like, what else, what else does it mean that, that he was a man of God's own heart? It means he was committed he committed himself to live on mission for the plans and purposes of God instead of his own. He was committed to living on God's plan. Was David perfect? No, absolutely not. We just read how David was not perfect at all. But we're seeing in the story that it's not perfection that God seeks, but it's, it's progress or a direction. It's not about being perfect before God, but it's how we respond when we sin and how we respond to our brokenness. And that's what sets us apart, is how we respond to the sin and brokenness in our life. That's what it is. And so the three things, why, why, we think God, why do we think God used David? There's three things. First thing, he was humble. His whole entire life was, was dotted with humility. 
over and over and over again and, 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 and throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, we see where David loved his enemies. He takes people back who had betrayed him. Uh, he forgave people's sins, but was tough on his own sin. He was tough on his own sin, but forgave other people quickly. That's a humble man. How many times are we the opposite? When someone betrays us, what do we do? Mm-mm, done. One time, we're one, one strike. I'm a one strike kind of, you know. Uh, well, how many times, you know, we see other people's sins, but we get blind to our own, you know? Because that's what happens when we, whenever we read Scripture but don't do what it says. We become blind to our own sin but very sensitive to other people's sins. We become very self-deceived. And so that's why it's important that we understand that unless we're humble, unless we're reading Scripture and doing what it says, we will, we'll, we'll get self-deceived like Saul was. So let's make sure that doesn't happen. The second thing is he was surrendered. First was he was humble. The second one, he was, he was surrendered to the will of God. We've already established that David was a man after God's own heart, but a man after God's own heart loves the things that God loves. So basically, everything that God loves and was after, David wanted that. that was, the desires of God was in David's heart. He wanted what God wanted. It lined up with Scripture. He read Scripture and says, yes, Lord, and he walked it out. That's what he wanted. You can look in Psalms chapter 86, verse 11 through 12. I think it'll be on the scripture. This is what David says. He says, teach me. This is, teach me, that's humility. Teach me, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. That's, that's obedience. Give me an undivided heart that I may, I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. That's a beautiful, beautiful text, but that's how our prayer should be also. Walking that out in faith that God is going to take care of his part if we would just be obedient with our part. So David was, he was surrendered, full surrender of our hearts, guys. And the desires to God is a, is a process where the Holy Spirit examines our hearts. And we in turn surrender to his leading. Because if we don't, we are, we are in charge and he's not. Because when we don't surrender, that puts us in a place of lordship in our own life. So when we're not fully surrendered to God, we're out of order, right? And so David was in order with what God wanted. And so this is how he shapes our hearts and our desires to be like his. And this is what set David apart because he listened to the word of God and he did what he said. And he walked it out and God blessed him. The last thing. He cherished the word of God. This is the third thing. The reason, one of the reasons why God used David was because he cherished the word of God. He cherished the word of God. There's a difference in liking something and cherishing something, right? Does anybody have anything here they cherish? Might be a car, might be a spouse, might be a child, might be a, a hobby. You love it. If it left you, you'd be devastated, correct? So basically, if the word of God was not in David's presence, if he couldn't read it, if he couldn't listen to it, if he couldn't quote it, he was not going to have a good day. How many of us are like that? Tough. It's tough. Listen, following Jesus is not hard. Following Jesus is the easiest thing in the world. The reason people get tricked up is because it's so easy. It can't be this easy. We make it hard. We're the ones that trip up and make things complicated. You know, our pride, we, our pride grinds against the will of God and causes a lot of confusion and strife that was never meant to be. 
Romans 12, tell, Romans 12 talks about the will of God as being good and pleasing and perfect. That's the will of God. We're supposed to read the Bible and then do what it says. It's simple. It's simple. David cherished the word of God with all his heart. When he spoke, David listened intently to what God said and was careful. He was careful to carry it out. God, is this what you said? He, he was careful to carry it out. Look in Psalms 119, verse 97. It says this on the screen. Oh, how I love your law. That's the word. I meditate on it all day long. That means I'm thinking about it. God, what does your word say? What does your word say about this situation? What does your word say about my life? What does your word say about money, kids, marriage, dating, work, money? What does it say? What does your word say, God, about leading a country? What does your word say about looking at another woman from my rooftop and killing his husband? What does your word say about that? You know, listen, like that, that's what he, I meditated on it all day long is what it said. And that's why I believe he was humble, he was surrendered to God's will, and he, he cherished the word of God. Those three things is why I believe God used David. The second question I want to ask is why did David fall? Why did David fall? Why did he go on the rooftop? Why did he look at the woman in lust? Why did he bring her to his house? Why did he sleep with her? Why did he conceive a baby? Why did he go kill her husband? Why? Why do we do stuff like that as humans? What's the point? There's three other things I want to, answer, I want to, I want to give you in this. The first thing I can think of is why David failed was pride. I know I throw that word around a lot because I have pride in my life that I need to get rid of, that I'm trying to my best to, to, to die to. And we all have a, have, a, have a sliver of pride in our lives because of our sin. Because at the root of every sin is pride. Every sin. And so listen, pride. This wasn't random. That like David going on the rooftop, sleeping with Bathsheba, killing her husband. This wasn't random. The seeds of that sin were planted years ago. Years ago. Listen, not by willfully sinning against God, not by I'm, I'm going to sin against God, I'm going to do what I want, God. You don't know what I know. And so that's not what he did. What, what he did was he, he started forgetting God. He started getting more powerful, started taking care of himself more, started having a lot more money, started more women, more friends, more armies. I, I started, he didn't need God as much. Isn't that in the place we're at right now as Americans? Like, we don't necessarily need God. We, we, don't, we, we, can, we can replace God with a lot of things like money, and we can go to the store and get our food. There's some countries in the world where people are praying they will have a meal tonight. Listen, that, that's what it's about is, is he became so, he, he began to look at his accomplishments, and he became very self-focused. Like, look what I've done. When he conquered, when he conquered Jerusalem, um, he, he, the Bible says that, that he took more wives than concubines. And if you, I'm not, go look up what concubines is. I'm not going to talk about it, but like, let's be real here. This, this is, I mean, he wanted, he wanted pleasure. He was after pleasure. Second Samuel 5, 13 says, after he left Hebron, because that's where he was king at, that was in the northern, northern kingdom of Israel, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and had more sons and daughters were born to him. This went completely against God's standard for Israel, because you can look in Deuteronomy. This is what God's standard was for the king of Israel. It says, he must not take many wives or his heart may be led astray. God predicted this long ago. If you do this, your heart might be led astray. He's, he's saying, and this is, this is the bad part. I just told, David said, I, lo I love your law. I meditate on it daily. That means he knew what Deuteronomy said. 
It means he knew that he, if I do this, I might be led astray. If I go after this, I might not, I might not be in the right place. He must, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And it says on, down the line that he must not accumulate a, lot, a large number of horses because God wanted the king of Israel to depend on God and not himself. Because if he had a lot of horses, a lot of gold, a lot of women, he could think he was on his own. He'd think he could do things himself. But God wanted the king of Israel, the, 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 the king of Israel to, to worship and to, and to honor God and nobody else. And so you can see pride is consumption with self. That can be a negative form. I'm so ugly. I'm overweight. I'm too skinny. I'm never going to do this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a consumption with self. Or it could be, I'm so pretty. I look great. I have a lot of money. And all this, it could be anything. I have a great job. It could be anything in those areas. And guys, I told you before, like Saul, he became very self-deceived thinking he was somewhere where he wasn't because he thought he was awesome. Pride is the root of every sin that you ever face in this room. Every sin that you come in contact with, the root at the very bottom of it, you pull it up and look at it, is pride. It's us thinking that, that we we're something where we're not. God hates pride because it gives us a misplaced sense of worth. It puts us in, a, it puts us in God's position is what it does. It puts us in, in the king's seat instead of on the cross where we belong. You can look at Psalms 10, 4. It says this, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. It could end there, but it doesn't. It says, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That's such a huge scripture, man. In my life, God has convicted me on that scripture so many times. Like, is that me, Lord? In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And so my, my, my only advice for you this morning is be killing pride before it kills you. Because spiritually, it will. It'll kill us. The second thing that happened with David's life that, that I think that you can look at that made him fall is, is he was lazy. Laziness. Slothfulness is a good word for that. David was at home when all the other when the armies were at war. In the spring, all the kings go to the front lines and they go and they line up with their armies and they fight and they get on and they hang out with the army and the king's men and they and they and they they just rub knuckles with each other and they get they get fired up with their men. And listen, they're supposed to be at war with their armies. David was in bed when he was supposed to be at battle. And so we can look at this this morning in all these different kind of areas. Uh, whenever we're supposed to be at battle, are we at bed? Are we, anyway, listen, David was in bed when he was supposed to be at battle. Success is a far greater tempter than, than, than failure. I'm a lot quicker to, to seek God whenever I'm failing, right? Whenever I'm losing my house, whenever I'm losing my wife, or whenever I'm losing my money or my job, dear God, please help me. Right? Right? But when everything's great, I have a million dollars in the bank account and I have a beautiful wife and all these, I'm like, who's God? Right? That's where we end up sometimes in our life as humans. And like, and think about this, in seasons of success, it's easy for us to let our guard down and we think we become bulletproof. Like David had spent 17 years as a king without losing one battle. Think about how arrogant he must have started becoming. Like, man, I, I can't lose. I mean, this is awesome. I've got all this stuff. He gained kingdoms and foreign lands and wives and riches. And it almost, it, it's almost like he couldn't lose. And David's laziness had set a stage and laid a foundation and set this, the soil very fertile for his fall. Guys, we can't take days off when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We can't take one day off. We can't take one hour off. We have to be surrendered and submitted and following him with all our hearts. That doesn't mean we're always working. That means our hearts are always centered on who he is 
in our life in every situation. 1 Corinthians 10 has a great verse in verse 12. It says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The moment you think everything's great, be careful because pride will come in and you will fall. Listen, it's huge. Every single one of us has this. We all have pride. We all have laziness. The last thing, the reason David fell is, is lust. Lust. Can we talk about that for a second? About to talk about sex at church. That's awesome. Listen, David's sin of lust shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. This, is something that, this isn't something that just randomly happened or snuck up on him. Oh, I didn't see this coming. That's, that's not, he began making minor and small compromises as the more, the more power he started to accumulate. And sin rarely just happens, guys. There, there's always a seed planted along the way that grows, that grows up and is harvested and, it, and it is eventually reaped. We're, we already saw that he had collected a large number of wives and concubines. David saw something in Bathsheba from that rooftop that he wanted. He indulged in what he wanted. He got what he wanted, despite the consequences, despite that woman's family, despite his family, despite any, he wanted what he wanted, so he was going to indulge in what he wanted. And this is a vicious cycle of lust. This is what it looks like, the vicious cycle of lust. Lust never has what it wants because what it wants is never enough. You know what I'm saying? Lust steals joy by creating an endless state of discontentment in the constant search for the one thing that you don't have yet. Can we agree with that? Is that? Have we seen that echo in our lives at all? Lust is never happy because it's never full. Lust is never happy because it's never full. And I can, the best way I can describe lust to you guys is desire gone mad. You can lust for things, you can lust for, but I'm talking about lust here is, is a lust for sex or, or, or sexual morality is what David was doing. And lust, guys, is Satan's perverted version of desire. Because sexual desire is good. Amen? Like, it's good. Like, sex in the confines of marriage is a beautiful thing. It's something God created as an act of worship. It's when sexual desire goes outside the boundaries that God has placed around it that it becomes sinful, like anything else. We live in a time and a culture, I know you can echo this to me, is where sex is driven by sex and it's driven by lust and it's driven by like images and, and thoughts of, of, of just of, of sexual morality. We've become very desensitized to it. Guys, if we show commercials, um, you know, in our parents' day or in our grandparents' day, they would have blushed and probably killed the TV because it was just like, you know, we've become desensitized to it. Guys, pornography, pornography use in our culture is an epidemic levels. Like, you think about this for a second. Go on. I started looking up stats, and I had this in my sermon. It was like, I, was like, I can't talk about all this. This is like, it's too much. Like, go, go look at the statistics for, for, like, for pornography in our, just in America, not in the world, just in our, our country. It's scary. It's terrifying. But, guys, until, until God is our chief concern, until his heart is our chief concern, if he, it's all I care about is him, until sinning against him is what breaks my heart, we'll never turn a corner on this as a culture. Never. Sex and desire done God's way is life-giving, but done outside of God's way, sex has the opposite effect. Despite what you've heard at your youth group, guys, God doesn't hate sex. I'm, in my youth group, I was like, oh, my God, sex is bad. You know, so I got married, and I'm like, wait. No, so Listen, he hates faithless sex with forbidden women or men, but he loves faithful sexual expressions in the context of marriage. God loves it so much that he commands it in Scripture, not just for it to happen, for it to be enjoyed. 
Not sinfully, but worshipfully. Listen, I always like to describe it like, like a fire. I like fire, obviously. I'm not a pyromaniac, but I like to describe it like fire. Do you want a fire in your house? No, you don't want a fire in your house. But it depends on where it's at, right? Fire in the fireplace is awesome, right? You put a fire in the fireplace, you relax, chill, it's awesome, it's good. You hang out. Fire on the couch, not good, right? That's, bad. That's a bad situation. Got to call the fire department. You know, it's bad. It just, may, it just makes sense. Something as powerful as sex and desire with, with, a, with so great a power to bless has an equally great ability to destroy, Right? It does. And so look, what, what it did, look what it did to David. The consequences were endless, and none of them were worth it. I bet David didn't, you know, year, a year or two down the road, David was like, I'm so glad I slept with Bathsheba. No, he did not. He was shameful about it. He was sad about it. Everywhere in the Bible that you look at lust, what does it tell us to do? Flee. It tells us to flee. It doesn't tell us to stand up and fight. It says run the other way. Run. Flee, flee in another direction. Joseph fled Potiphar's wife butt naked out of his clothes because he was scared. He ran, gone. I'm out of here. Flee from it. Listen, as a follower of Christ, man, we need to keep desire within the boundaries of God. That God set up for it, for us, and we would trust his word because he said it's good for us. And it is good for us. We gotta trust God in that. And the last thing, this is the final thing, is how was David restored? How was David restored? Guys, aren't you glad we serve a God that loves to restore? Restore hope, restore marriages, restore lives, restore purpose, restore anything. He's the God of restoration. Every time God restores someone in Scripture, there's a confrontation. And that's always the hard part, the confrontation. Let's look at how God confronts David here in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to look how David gets confronted by God. This is a year later. How do you know this? Because usually babies take nine months to get born, and it's about a year, right? So this is a year after David committed the sin. The baby had been born. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, this is Nathan talking to David here. It says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. This, is, this makes me cry every time I read it, man. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man did, who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did, not, he did such a thing, had no pity. Then, David, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Talk about a drop mic moment. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave, your master's I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Listen, guys, this is such a, 
a beautiful story, but at the same time, like, God is showing David his sin. And in verse 13, he tells him, he says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Thank goodness, right? But in spite of his terrible sins, David's, David loved God and listened to Nathan's rebuke. Listen to his response. You can look at response. Said, I have sinned against the Lord. How many of us is that our response when we find ourselves in sin? There, there, was, not a, there was not a long excuse or, or blame shifting. It was him. It was her. It was, it, was something, it was my circumstance. I was busy. I didn't do. There was all these things that, that came in the con. I sinned against the Lord. He, he confessed. One sentence. David admitted he was guilty. And I love looking in Scripture and looking at David in Scripture because you can look in First and Second Samuel and see the life of David, but you can look in the Psalms and you can see the heart of David. You can see his heart as he's reading, as he's writing these words. And you can look in Psalms 32. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. In Psalms 32, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in, in whose spirit is not deceit. When I kept silent, when I didn't confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Conviction. My strength sapped in the, head of, in, in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Confession. And did not cover up my iniquity. Transparency. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then look also in Psalms 51. This is his prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. Wait a minute, what about Uriah? What about Bathsheba's family? Listen, he has it in perspective. He sinned against God. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Anybody who has a child over the age of one can tell you sin is real at an early age. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and the gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And this is where it gets real. These three verses should be our prayer when we come before God in confession. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David's repentance, guys, proved that he was still a man after God's own heart. It proved that he was still a man after God's own heart. David's sin deserved death. Our sin deserves death. David's sin wasn't without consequences because Nathan said the most life-changing words that you'll ever hear. The Lord has taken away your sin. Hallelujah, that's awesome, right? Is that good news? Yes, that's the gospel. You're not going to die is what he said. God is so good. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us what we deserve. The Bible says while we were still sinners that Christ died for us, while you were still in the filth of your sin, you know the depth of your sin, the depth of your depravity, the depths of your thoughts, the depths of the things you've done. While you were still in that moment, Christ still died for you. So how do, we, how do we respond to our brokenness and our sin when God reveals it? How do we respond? Do we run and hide it? Do we run away from our sin like Jonah? 
Do we own up to it and confess? Do we repent and move towards Jesus? When God reveals our brokenness, guys, we have two choices. This is it. We either repent or we harden. We repent from our sins, we turn, or we harden our hearts. Because one thing I know is true repentance will always lead, I mean, excuse me, true brokenness will always lead to repentance. True brokenness, a, bro- a broken heart before God will always lead to repentance. Truly seeing God for who he is, what he's done, and seeing what that means for my sin leads to repentance. When David saw that he was the man, he was the man that had stolen the ewe lamb. He was the man. His eyes were open to the depths of his depravity. How could I have done this? How did I go from here to here? How did I get here? He realized he needed someone greater than himself to save him, and that's what we need this morning. How about you guys? Are you, like, are you a man or woman that God would say after his own heart this morning? Is that where you're at? Are there, are there areas of our lives that you've allowed sin to creep in unchecked? Maybe you've never dealt with your sin. Maybe, you, maybe it's still sitting there in the dark. But guys, God absorbed our sin on the cross. Jesus in our place is what the gospel is. Jesus took our place, a substitution. If you want to get theological, it's propitiation. The Bible says his, he blotted out our transgressions. If you blot out something with a Tide pen, what happens? It goes away, right? We only use one once or twice, but I don't know. Um, it means they aren't seen anymore if we trust in Christ. Guys, this morning, I, you know, as we, as we close, I just want to clarify to you every time, and I never want you to go without you hearing this, is that we all have a choice to make, and none of us get out of this life without making it. We all have a choice. We get to choose. We have to choose. What am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to accept him? Am I going to reject him? There's no, there's no getting around that, that choice. You can't ignore it for long enough. You can't push it to the side. We don't get to not decide. And one thing a pastor told me one time is we either bow our knee to him now in repentance or later in judgment. And my heart to for you guys tonight is we would, we would bow our, our today is that we would bow our our hearts and our knees before him and surrender, saying, God, you are God. But my life may not look like I want it to or like you want it to, God, but I surrender to you. And so this morning, guys, the gospel is this, is, and we often say it like this, is if you cover over your sin, Jesus will expose it at judgment, right? But if you expose your sin, Jesus will cover it with his grace. Jesus. So this morning, guys, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity because as a pastor, as, as a friend, as somebody who loves you, somebody who enjoys getting to spend Sunday mornings with you, like, I never want to leave this place without giving you the opportunity to respond to the gospel, ever. And so I don't care if you're the worship leader or the keyboard player or the pastor or anybody in this room the, on leadership, anything. If you haven't ever, ever received Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never walked and said, Jesus, your way, not my own. You, not me. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity. If that's something you want to do, I just want to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. So we can pray with you and walk with you into that together. Is that anybody this morning? All right. Well, I'm going to pray for us. Um, I'm going to open this altar. If you want to come and pray, you can. Um, if you want to leave, you can leave quietly, please. And um, if somebody wants to pray, we'll have somebody to pray with you. We'll have some prayer team people on the side. Um, if you have some things you want to get off your chest and just pray through 
Um, and we'd love to walk through that with you because we're a church that loves you guys. Like we want to we want to have a church that feels like a family. And so let me pray for us, and then let's uh, I'll I'll let you guys pray. So whenever I whenever I pray, you guys can come. Lord, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for being a God that restores, a God that redeems, a God that heals, a God, a God that just um, binds up the brokenhearted. I pray for um, any hardness of heart here today, any sin that may be hidden. God, any person here may not have may not be following you, God, any person that may not know you, God, I pray that you would soften that person's heart, God, to, to, to realize the need that they have for you, Father. God, I pray that we would be a church that, that longs to, to step alongside of people and to, and to walk with the broken and long, walk with the hurting. God, we love you. I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. God, I pray that we would never stop giving you the glory because you're the only one that deserves it, Father. And we just ask you to come and be with us this week. Bless us, God, and direct us, Lord, in your name I pray.